Hello and welcome to the Seascapes Colab podcast series. My name is Susie O'Hara and I'm a curator, educator and practice-based researcher exploring emerging models of cross-sector collaboration between art, innovation and society. I'm currently working in partnership with the Seascapes Time to Tea Shores and Seas Marine Heritage Project, Seascapes for short, which is generously funded by the National Lottery Heritage Fund and University of Sunderland. For the past three years, I've been curator and lead researcher for Seascapes Colab, a multi-year creative engagement project that aims to scaffold creative experimentation between artists, researchers, marine heritage specialists and coastal communities living along the northeast coastline. The resulting creative experiences, participatory artworks and interactive exhibitions explore how we can better connect with our world and co-develop sustainable ways to care for our marine environment through art and creativity. Today we're going to deep dive into Queer Shores and Seas, a creative project engaging with queer communities and allies across the northeast coastline, capturing shoreline stories and celebrating our curious coastal heritage. Join us to hear lead artist and illustrator Lizzie Lovejoy discuss the project with Curious Arts Director Phil Douglas, Assistant Curator for the Blooming Youth Collective Beth Smith and queer performance artist Audrey Cook. I am the sea, the sea is in me, lifeblood in memory of a sandal taken by the tide. What else could be inside but salt water daughter of the sand? Formed by blue hands of time, I'm living in the moment, sea in my veins, till all that remains are the sounds of the waves. The sound that saves my sanity. My name is Phil Douglas and I'm from Curious Arts uh, and my involvement in the project started kind of before the project started. So we were approached by Seascapes who were kind of considering and thinking about how to engage LGBTQIA plus communities and heritage in the Seascapes project. So we kind of had lots of conversations before the project started about the shape of it and uh, the scale of it and how it might reach audiences and communities that hadn't necessarily engaged in seascapes already or in, in such a direct way. So I guess I was involved in kind of partly planning some of the, the timeline of the project and kind of focus areas and some of the kind of sub-themes. And then once the project, well, before the project started, we were involved in kind of the recruitment and the call-out of the opportunity and kind of the interview process. And then once the project was live, we were like a, a partner in terms of supporting some of the thinking around um, what the content might be, how to connect with certain community groups or community areas or venues or individuals, and also kind of midway through like little reflection points around what's working, what's not working so well, how might we adapt some of the approaches that the artist was taking. My name is Lizzie Lovejoy. I am an artist, illustrator and performer who works around the Northeast area I am a queer artist and specifically as part of this project, I was learning about and exploring the peoples who live by the sea, who have queer identities. 
Initially, we came up with the idea of like, do we engage two artists to, uh, I guess, set them on a quest to kind of find areas or themes of interest to coastal communities who hadn't necessarily been represented before or had or seen part of their culture or their history and heritage connected with the kind of um, maritime themes and kind of marine heritage themes that Seascapes explores. So originally we were thinking, is it two artists and what are the types of ways that they could explore this? Is it through community workshops? Is it a specific area within the kind of focus area of Seascapes? Or is it kind of anywhere within the catchment area? And yeah, and focusing on kind of the form. So would it be kind of audio interviews? Would it be physical workshops with some kind of arts activity to capture or support or enable the kind of exploration of these narratives or themes? And through lots of conversations, we ended up uh, reaching a point of kind of thinking, actually, let's let's go a bit bolder and let's kind of have one slightly more significant commission. And Seascapes were really keen that we worked with uh, the right kind of partners. So we were on board as kind of a community LGBTQIA plus arts and community partner. And then there was another kind of Sunderland-based organisation that really kind of focused on heritage and history and how to capture like audio collection of people's stories and interviews and things like that so with that kind of combination we kind of came up with a call out and, and we and we put it out there and then as i say we we were successful in getting uh, a few applications which were of interest when the call out first happened that this project was going to happen i applied for it very happily because it was exactly the kind of thing that i'd want to be a part of an exploration of the sea and an exploration of queerness and I don't think that had really been covered not extensively around here before so I pitched a project essentially I pitched an oral history project where I would get to listen to people's stories and translate those stories into poems pictures and performances that could be showcased around the northeast this was a very long project, a very wide-spanning project. It went up and down the coast from the Tyne to the Tees, and I worked with different groups to do creative activities so that people could create their own coastal and queer conversation-inspired artwork and writing. And I also managed to create a lot myself. So basically, the, the final outcome of it was a bunch of exhibitions, poems, performances. I think the project definitely built new relationships with community groups that didn't exist necessarily before. And also it was really great to see, for example, an organisation called Heart Gables who engaged as a group, as a number of their groups engaged, but also people then continued to engage individually quite a, a number of times. So when we look at the engagement or the, the reach of the project, some of the success of that is that this is kind of more a de deepening, repeated engagement in the project rather than a lot of people engaging once or, or for a short period of time. So I think those connections were great. I think Lizzie working with new people as in creatives, but also participants and organisations for the first time was probably really positive for their practice. I think Seascapes probably overall may have, may have reflected and thought, actually, we took on a really interesting challenge with making quite quite a niche opportunity and call out and I think there was really useful learning from that so I think all those connections all that learning and kind of conversations like this where we can reflect on that are really useful 
if that can be shared with others who might be planning something similar or how it can inform future thinking for the artist and the projects. My name's Beth Smith. I'm assistant curator at the Red Car Palace and I run Blooming Youth Collective, which is a young people's group for ages 16 to 24-ish. And yeah, we do crafts and activism and it's basically about reducing loneliness and isolation in young people. And we took part in Queer Shores last year with Lizzie and we spoke about our experiences of LGBTQ plus history in Redcar and beyond and how that links to the seaside and living by the coast. It is an absolutely wonderful project and absolutely terrifying in a lot of ways to go out because I go out to public spaces and collect stories. That's the kind of way that I have worked on every project and this one's no different. I like to hear people's stories, hear about who they are what they're doing and what they're thinking. But obviously with this project, I have to come out. Every time I'm going into a space to say what this project is, I have to be like, I am queer. You don't need to know the ins and outs of that, but I am a queer and I want to know, are you a queer or no a queer? (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and that can be wonderful and liberating and awkward, but also really scary. Um, Cause where I grew up, I would say, Although the families and communities there are overall accepting currently, it didn't necessarily feel that way um, at the beginning. And I didn't necessarily feel safe the whole time doing my usual process. Thankfully, a lot of the spaces that I entered, they knew where I was gonna be. They, you know, I was physically actually very safe. So what I did is I went out to public spaces and I said, I'm gonna be here and I wanna listen. And would you like to be a part of it? And Sometimes there were larger groups, sometimes there were very small groups, there was one or two people in an entire day. But it spread around the entire area and I heard so many different kinds of stories. Lizzie reached out to me wondering if Blooming Youth Collective wanted to be involved and obviously happily um, we took part. It was wonderful to get involved but also I think it's so important for people to sort of explain and describe their experiences because I think for a lot of people and a lot of the history that is from in the northeast and coastal towns and red car it sort of is shaped around history that's like palatable to people especially for like working class history and working class queer histories it gets sort of shaped around this idea of like something that's palatable for people to be able to think that is representative of them but only to a certain extent and that doesn't always fit everybody's experiences and Blooming Youth Collective for the most part don't fit those experiences of like white men in industries when actually we're, when we're not those people and that's absolutely okay but coming together and talking about it is sort of giving people the opportunity to be like oh actually my experience is normal and lots of other people are, are this is their experience and it has been for since the dawn of time it's just only now sort of been spoken about openly I just find it really interesting the idea that working classness and queerness don't exist in the same bodies Mm. when they really do and this project has been a a way of proving that but Bloom and Youth Collective in itself is an extreme way of of proving that because all of these young people a lot of them from working class backgrounds not everyone um, coming together and sharing their own experiences is it's it's really cool basically to see that that does happen and that does exist in the narratives 
everyone that was involved, they were involved to different degrees. There were people who were involved simply by telling me their stories and then I was translating it over and I had some audio recordings of their voice which went into a soundscape piece. And as a child you would never get a deck chair of course, but mum used to get a deck chair. It's a wonderful place because I can walk out of my lodge over there, down to the sea through the Dean, walk on the beach. It was absolutely ideal through COVID because when we're all locked up, you know, and I had this freedom to walk down the Dean and I love the sea. You know, like today is absolutely glorious sunshine, but if it was stormy and rainy, it would still be magnificent, mm. you know, it has its own feeling, all the emotions. But there are other people that were more creatively involved, and this is when you get groups like Bloomin' Youth and Heart Gables and a range of workshops I ran in Tyneside near Suter Lighthouse, where we went out with sketchbooks, we drew what we saw, and we created creatures. A lot of it was about reportage, especially the early stuff, documenting what you see through your own unique voice. Every creative person has a unique voice. Um, and I really want people to get away from like the concept of the good drawing because there is no such thing as like, you know the good drawing, the good poem. Everything is valid creative expression. And so entering these spaces, I was getting people to look at seashells, look at sea glass, look at the way the water moved and try and document that and document literally what was around them through their perspective. And then you end up with a bunch of unique queer coastal images that express the way that they see the world and it's a wonderful collection. But as I got further into it, we ended up being a little more inventive. And the Bloomin' Youth Collective specific workshop, we were creating our own creatures, our own kind of cryptids and monsters. And a lot of that came from the fact that gay people in films and cinema have often been referred to, like in terms of iconography and representation, as literal monsters. And kind of taking that back. We're claiming it back and being like, okay, we can be these cryptids, we can be these creatures, we can be a mystery to the rest of the world, and it will be brilliant, and we will be beautiful, and we will be everything. And so we were creating these creatures. I'm a bit of a huge believer in utilising arts activity and conversations as a, as a tool, as a, as a vehicle, as a way to unlock self-expression and comfort and bringing people together so I think in equal measure the creative kind of output and activity that people were engaged in is as equal and as important as the conversations that happened while that was going on and the thinking and the focused time so yeah I think that it allowed a bit more creativity and flex in 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 what responses might be made rather than going let's have a cup of tea and talk about the heritage of LGBT communities in these coastal community areas. So yeah, I think it allowed a little bit more flexibility and openness for people, you know, once we got them to the sessions to be able to kind of have a little bit more agency in terms of what they were willing to share, how they're willing to engage with the activities. There is definitely a sense of community that is formed just by the sea existing. Just it being a place where everyone can find something that they identify with. I mean, I said not that long ago that the sea is fluid and the way people are is very fluid. You know, no one is exactly the same as one another and all of these people, these spaces, they can find something to identify with it, whether it's the 
the water itself, which I personally find very comforting, very warm of a space. I'm not a sea screamer, but I am a sea talker. So I will go and have a conversation with the sea from time to time. Or maybe it's the creatures. Lots of people weirdly love jellyfish. Um, I find them quite scary, but lots of people really loved jellyfish and again, the architecture. So there's always something that brings everyone back that makes this a safe space where queer communities can thrive. And I think especially when you get back to reclamation, when you get back to the kind of language that's used. In the Tees Valley area, there are a few different insults that are hurled at communities that live in the area. Um, they are meant to be insults, things like codheads, and on the Hartlepool side, you've got monkey hangers. And if you can reclaim the word queer and make it something wonderful, why can't we reclaim the Northern terms too? Why can't we make these our badge of honor to say, yeah, we're these the we are these things and you can't make it venomous, you can't make it cruel. And it's the same thing with sand dancer as a term in South Shields. It's now a term that has been used by the community quite widely. You have restaurants, you have different parties and different events where everyone's saying, Yeah, this is what I am. And so we can be queer codheads, we can be queer sand dancers, we can be queer monkey hangers, and we can be proud of all of it. I will not let them put their venom into words that defined me, words that remind me of my own vibrancy, of the spectrum like refraction. No, my reaction to their insults is reclamation, a declaration of my own sense of being. What they are seeing is both butch and flamboyance. In spite of their annoyance, I am breathing. My identity isn't leaving. Queer here and no more self-fear. I am perfection. You may spit cruelty in my direction, but I am not tainted. My words are my own. I am at home within my skin. Let my worth sink in. There is truth in what I say and beauty in being gay. My name is Audrey Cook. I am a queer performance artist, theatre maker, and a community worker within the arts and culture scene. I came on board Queer Shows and Seas as a performer of my own work, as I am a queer person that lives and has grown up by the sea. With like young working class identity, when it comes to expression, there's a lot fewer resources to really work with. And so if you are a working class person living by the sea, the sea is there. The sea is there for you to... That's not gatekept. That's not behind a, a paywall or anything like that. Anyone can go and take what they need from it. And it's. I'm sure it's been lovely to, like, see that some what has been taken from the sea freely has been this idea of expression and in a lot of youth queer expression. You get to be able to talk to a lot of people a lot more freely when you're by the sea. I don't know what it is about it. If you ever like on the beach and you just approach someone, you will have a long conversation. And 
I don't know if the spaces really, they interact with each other really well, the idea of the queer space and the coastal space. Because everyone's kind of there to be happy. Mm-hmm. They're there to be themselves, to be free, to have a good time. And there's, there's so much fluidity to the sea. The final exhibition, it's interesting because at the start and the midway through a project, it's sometimes quite hard to imagine what the end outcome will be. But I think it was quality and it was engaging. So there was like a number of exhibition opportunities. So that was great to see. And it was great to see it happening in kind of public spaces and reaching people who aren't necessarily in that direct community group and kind of what I call more like happen uponable engagement. So people who, who didn't even know it was on, but were using that library space, that community centre saw it. When it all started, I was just looking to see what the commonalities would be in people's stories. And as the project evolved, there were key themes that came up. There was reclamation, there was identity and especially creature identity and the idea of family and community. And each different group that I interacted with brought a different element of this out in a different creative way. When I was doing work over in South Shields, the small group that I was working with there at Suta were really interested in the idea of items of the land being representative of who they are. And so while we were walking around doing reportage illustration, reportage being documentative illustration, they were drawing these pictures of the lighthouse, of Marsden Rock, of the different birds, and they were relating elements of their own lives to it. And I can't remember which bird, one of them was talking to me about the types of birds that live on Marsden Rock. Then there's a specific type where they, male and male partners will adopt chicks. And it's the most wholesome, heartwarming thing. And they were saying that this is part of why they loved coming to the area because they got to see these birds and they got to share their own lives with these other creatures and prove that they are natural, that they are real and that they are valid. And so what they were drawing, these pictures which were documentative, they were also pairing with words. And so what you end up with is a sketchbook that explores what their real lives were and the the visual element of it, but also what their thoughts are. And you end up with this interpretive book. And as I was working in Sunderland Museum and Winter Gardens, you don't get it that interpretive, you get it more literal. Where the people that I was working with didn't really want to draw so much. They wanted to have a conversation, they wanted to be verbal, and they wanted to explain what their lives had been. And kind of, they weren't really hoping for the future. They weren't really looking at what it could be like, what it was going to be like. They were very interested in just what it was. And then you get down to the T's and we're inventing left, right and centre, coming up with, with these gods. And that was an element that, as I was visually interpreting and coming up with the way that I wanted to explore what people's words had been, I was inventing all of these river gods and sea gods. And I'd say that it's the most grim imagery out of the stuff that I've created. Most of it is filled with joy and filled with this happiness and celebration. But there's also still this element of of fear and control and the idea of having to put your faith in something. And so I illustrated a range of sea gods that were part of these conversations and representative of that. It's just so wonderful to hear Audrey and Lizzie's experiences with like working with young people and like some of these young people are so comfortable with their identity and like how like incredible that is to have that and to to be able to be open with a group of people and for us who are in our like mid-twenties 
and them to be like it's only been what 10 years since we were about their age like 13 like mm-hmm. early teens um and the change within that 10 years is just like incredible and it's down to people like Audrey and Lizzie who are enabling the future young people and like the future voices to feel comfortable and to be like this is what we experienced and like you don't need to experience that you don't need to like there there are groups and people and it's just it's just wonderful and and sort of making these pathways for for making a difference sometimes the kind of sweeping assumptions can be made around like only a certain age demographic is interested in heritage or is a, a place of comfort in their life where they want to talk about the past or their identity. It's quite complex with LGBT communities and, you know, how much they are out in their family or personal or professional or private lives. So I, I wonder if that was kind of a consideration for people about kind of being involved in this project is potentially outing, if that makes sense. I think we were a little bit disheartened at the start, but then I think we we reflected that this is quite a super niche, you know, we're talking about marine heritage in the northeast of England in a specific area, but then on top of that, to add another layer of kind of nicheness, <laughs> uh, we were specifically trying to engage LGBT communities. So I think I, I, I'd been a little bit excited about who we might reach, but then it was a bit of a reality check in terms of the numbers that actually kind of engaged remembering that there isn't that much kind of community infrastructure in the northeast there's not that many community groups or charities that are working with these communities i remember when the call out first came out and uh seeing it and thinking like wow what an amazing project to happen here i've never seen a commission so niche but yet so obviously linked to to queer communities yeah 100 percent. i remember trying to explain it to my parents and explaining it to my family and them and i was like i don't know how else to explain it to you but it just fits like it just it it just fits and hopefully within the legacy of the project it becomes a lot more clear as day and hopefully the the project now when it's finished and now in its entirety will give people an insight into going like oh yeah actually yeah and maybe it's not just the sea maybe queer people who live on the moors will see something in their like earth-based history and such a lot of people were interested in the health of the sea and the way that we treat the sea and them there was a lot of similarities with the way different queer people had been negatively trapped and the negative treatment that we give to our seas and so i wanted to draw pictures of of boats and of sea creatures and the way that the two interact with each other and the way the two might reflect each other. So there's one particular image that is of a lifeboat and an orca because orcas are well known for being positive with humans, for interacting with humans, for saving them and guiding them. And in the past, maybe a bit grimly, they have been known to help humans with fishing in exchange for like some fish of their own. And so they're this very helpful and collaborative kind of creature and the lifeboats are exactly the same they are this savior and they're this collaborator to help people out on the water ensure that it's a safe space so i wanted to pair these two creatures together and you end up with that with lots of different sea creatures as i was going through it and this exhibition was showcased at hartlepool library in the gallery section and it was also been showcased in a book 
that's gone around for everyone to be able to pick up and see. And it's still available now to see online on the website that represents the entire visual aspect of the project. There was also a series of performances. There was one because I get ill surprisingly often where Audrey had to take over for me and be my voice and performed a series of poetic works that I had created in reflection of this. And there was also a second showcase performance that I performed in where I performed my own work, my own words that were a reflection of everything that was part of this project but also the words of the young people that didn't feel confident enough to perform their own work, but really deserved to have a say and had created this incredible, beautiful poetry. And then also the wonderful words of Audrey and Quinn, who shared their own perspectives on the sea and on queer identity and on who they are. And it was a wonderful celebration. Every aspect of it was a joy to be a part of. I'd be keen to pick up a conversation again with Sunderland University as a host partner, but also Seascapes around not doing a one-off of this type of activity. So it doesn't feel tokenistic or performative. It doesn't also feel like this intention reached into and offered an invitation to a community and there isn't necessarily a follow-up. So I think, I think there's some conversations to be had. And I also think in terms of legacy, it was an interesting and useful pilot to explore this type of work. And I think the legacy will sit with kind of seascapes and the learning and, and the outcomes that they've had from this, but also individually, the impact for that one artist is quite interesting in terms of the length of time and the resource and the support they had. And there was a number of other creatives who took part in like a audio recordings um, workshop with Living Histories Northeast. So I think what's interesting is how is that kind of practice um, shared more, more widely amongst kind of individuals, but, but predominantly kind of for us, the artistic community, how can they think about doing audio kind of history and heritage collection in a quality and informed way that kind of builds. I think there's something to say around, there's lots of conversations around what a queer archive is for the Northeast. And this activity that's happened with Seascapes completely kind of fits and leans into that. And how could it be part of that conversation to ensure that coastal communities are not left out of if there is a queer archive activity that happens to try and start capturing LGBT history in the Northeast. So there's lots of links to be made. And there's kind of, you know, what does what does round two look like with the lessons learned from this one? I think what's really interesting was sort of with our group when we were taking part in it was that sort of taking accountability and taking the future and and with the oral history part of it, being able to write our own experiences right now and being able to talk to people in the future, but right now about what we're what's happening right now, about what we're experiencing and what we've done and what we've gone through and our experiences and and things and events that have shaped our lives as as queer young people and um even even sort of things that people would think to be sort of silly right now might not be in the future and how experiences that might seem really minimal to us right now in 10 15 20 30 40 50 years time actually are really important and poignant for the time as well as just having a nice old time sort of reflecting on our our past and like our history and growing up and our present and 
what we're like now and what we do now and how that will be because I have no doubt that it'll be completely different in the future but giving people that opportunity an insight into our lives to be like oh actually this is still the same this is different because exploring the hidden histories of uh, queer identity we have that opportunity now to make it not so hidden and a, a lot easier to find and there will still be hidden histories there always will be but we can be part of making it a bit easier to find. Curious Arts works with an intention to have care for everyone who's involved in our projects, as in like artists, but also participants and audiences. So also we kind of set out our stall with the intention to have accessible opportunities. And I think it was quite interesting as a tiny organisation to work with Sunderland University and Seascapes because I really enjoyed the response to the challenge that we offered. Um, for example, there was quite accessible call-outs. There was talk-to-video and caption call-outs. There was a more flexible and open way to apply for this opportunity um, in terms of you could apply via a written application or you could apply via video or audio file. And I, and I feel like what's been great in terms of legacy and impact of that is, is Seascapes have continued to bed in some of that accessibility in their practice. So that was that's a reflection for me is like it's a nice kind of thing to take away is when you can have an imprint of your values and practice on another organization and particularly sometimes when it's larger that's also a nice takeaway for me there is something more than nothing in the emptiness at my side There is a sense of two people that no one can divide when I'm in the company of one. Even after the years have gone, alone is not lonely, I am my own, one and only. Others can visit when I give permission. Choosing myself is not a decision, it's an instinct, it's identity. Of understanding what is meant for me and acting on my behalf, as my other half, with love.